This is the Story Power Marketing Show with Tom Ruich. Make yourself comfortable and fasten your seatbelt. Tom and his guests are about to share powerful stories, trade business building insights, and have a few laughs. Tom created this podcast to help you captivate prospects and inspire them to act so you can get more clients quickly and easily. That's what powerful storytelling is all about. That's what this podcast is all about. So let's get this party started. Here's your host, Tom Ruich. Hello and welcome to the Story Power Marketing Show. My name is Tom Ruich and today's episode is called How to Eliminate Friction for Buyers and Customers So You Can Sell More. As always, I'll kick off this episode with a quick story before introducing my guest. In September 2019, I bought a Tesla Model 3, and the story of my buying experience is loaded with valuable lessons. Tesla has done zero traditional advertising, yet it dominates the electric car market in the United States. The technology is remarkable, but the car itself has nothing to do with the buying experience and why it's so great. Here's how I bought my Tesla. I went to the Tesla dealership and took a test drive. And the sales concierge who helped me gave me his cell phone and told me to text him with any questions. Over the next few days, when I sent questions, he always replied promptly and he never initiated contact. No pitchy follow ups, just there when I needed him. Compare that to the guy at the Audi dealership who called me twice in one week after my wife and I test drove an SUV. And then he yelled at me and suggested I was making a huge mistake when I told him we were leaning toward the Volvo instead. Anyhow, the Tesla guy left me alone. And when I decided to order the car, I didn't have to drive back to the dealership and do the paperwork shuffle with him. I pulled out my phone, selected the car from the Tesla website, selected yes or no from the very short list of add-on options, and entered my credit card to pay the $1,000 deposit. Simple pricing, no haggling, and a laughably simple ordering process. I never imagined ordering a car could be so simple. And that's the point. In every way, Tesla has reinvented the prospect and customer experience to put the prospect and customer first. Since the car wasn't on the lot, I had to wait for it to be delivered, and Tesla texted me regularly to keep me informed. When the car was off the assembly line, when it left the factory in California, when it arrived in St. Louis, when it was ready for pickup, I received a notice. No uncertainty, zero frustration. And then the pickup. I arrived at the dealership where the concierge was waiting. He handed me a folder, a ballpoint pen, and a bottle of soda. He led me to a sofa in the reception area and encouraged me to review the paperwork. The documents were clearly marked where I needed to sign them. The entire process took less than 10 minutes. Then he led me to the car, walked me through all the features, and I was off. A simple, simple, simple process. No friction. A few days after I received the car, I noticed a small tear in the material covering the driver's seat. Kind of a bummer. 
could have happened at the factory, could have happened at the dealership when they were cleaning and setting up my car for my pickup, but none of that mattered. Here's what did matter. I pulled out my phone, fired up the Tesla app, pressed the link for service, described what was wrong, received instant notice that this could be fixed with a service house call, and then a calendar popped up so I could schedule the call. 20 minutes before the scheduled appointment, I received a call from the Tesla service guy who said, Mr. Ruich, I'm actually running early following my last appointment. If you're ready for me, I can be there in five minutes. I was ready. He pulled up, removed from his van the new seat cover, spent a few minutes removing the seat, replacing the cover, and reinstalling the seat. And this all happened while the car was parked in front of my house and I sat in my living room. And then he was finished, less than 30 minutes after he started. Wow. One last thing about my Tesla. Most cars immediately get worse the minute you drive them from the lot. Not the, not the Tesla. On multiple occasions, the car has received automated over-the-air software upgrades that have added functionality. The car can actually go faster than it did when I first received it. Now, you don't have to be an auto manufacturer to learn from this story. No matter what business you're in, the prospect and customer experience matters. That's true for big consumer brands like Tesla, and that's true for business-to-business companies too. You can have the greatest products on earth. You can have the best services. You can know all the marketing tricks, but none of it matters if you have a lousy buying experience or if you treat your customers like dirt. My guest today knows all about this. Dean Isaac spends most of his time working with B2B businesses, consultants, and experts. They hire him to help them achieve their business growth dreams by creating predictable, sustainable revenue. His approach is simple. Identify and eliminate the friction we unintentionally create in our marketing and sales. By eliminating the friction effect, we can generate better quality leads, shorten the sales process, and close high-ticket deals with our ideal clients. Buyers have changed the way they find, evaluate, and buy business services. Unfortunately, many B2B businesses haven't effectively changed the way they market and sell. Dean loves helping experts change the way they think and operate their businesses. The belief that they need to invest more and more hours into their business to grow is wrong. They don't. So, Dean Isaacs, let's talk about the friction effect. Welcome to the Story Power Marketing Show. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me on. I love your Tesla story. It's it's a perfect example of um, how to remove friction, right, from that buyer yep. experience. So, it's uh, I love that you led with that. Yeah, and so in 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 your business, you're talking more to the consultants, the coaches, the people who are in that B two B space. Yeah. But the principles are are still the same. So share with us some examples of those who are doing it the wrong way, creating friction unintentionally, versus those who are doing it the Dean Isaac's way, the frictionless way. <laughs> the yeah. frictionless way. You know, yeah. there, there are plenty of examples of how how not to create that ideal buyer experience because it, 
at the end of the day, it's all about experience, right? Buyers, modern buyers, I like to call them modern buyers, especially buyers of professional services, technology, business services. They've really evolved in the last probably five years and even more so in the last 24 months Mm -hmm. in how they um, buy high-ticket items, even even commodities to a certain degree. Um, They're more educated. They have access to information, and they're much further into their decision-making process, Harvard Business Review um, did a study a couple of years back, and they they estimated that buyers of professional services are sixty to seventy percent of the of the of the way through the decision making process of buying a service before they ever want to engage with a brand or a salesperson. Mm-hmm. Think about that. Mm-hmm. The power shifted from the seller to the buyer, right? Yeah. Amen. You know, um, the the consultative selling approach, statistics show that about 10% of, of the best salespeople use the consultative selling approach well. Mm-hmm. The other 90% are pretty much winging it, right? Or they're using other sort of like methodologies. Well, and, and the consultative selling approach has been the, the sort of go-to approach for all, all things professional services, coaches, consultants, software, any solution, right? But here's the problem with the consultative selling approach. It doesn't align with how the modern buyer buys. Mm -hmm. When I mentioned that power shift that's happened, a consultative seller comes in, they qualify the prospect, and they're qualifying the prospect so they can do what? They can suggest one of their solutions. It feels consultative because they're asking good questions and digging in and all that good stuff. But at the end of the day, all they're trying to do is position themselves to sell their stuff. Mm-hmm. Right, but the buyer's savvy. They're educated. They've already evaluated you as a provider. That's why they're talking to you. They're in that last phase of decision making, so they don't want to go right back to the beginning and rehash all of the stuff they researched and hear you say it again mm-hmm. as a consultative sell. So that alone creates friction. There's misalignment between the buyer and the seller. And so what happens when we create friction? Things slow down. And people start to ghost you, right? They don't yeah. respond. Right. Or they say, you know what? Just give me the price. Give, what's it going to cost me? They hop over to that next step. So that's a, a really classic example of what's not working. Mm-hmm. I would say on the on the marketing side, um, marketers aren't thinking about where the buyer is at in their buyer's journey and providing the right kind of information that they need at that point in time. Mm -hmm. So Tesla has spent a ton of money and a ton of effort in really defining the ideal client. They profiled you, Tom. You probably fit into one of their profiles as a buyer of Tesla, right? Yep. Age, income, um, access to technology, location, all this kind of fun demographic stuff. And so they know where you access the brand, how you can interact with the brand. They know that you're happy to play around on your phone and interact with them with technology, mm-hmm. right? That's why they have dealer. They don't have dealerships, right? They have showrooms in malls, right? Yeah. They don't. Yeah. They don't need sales guys walking up to you on the lot saying, "What's it going to take to get me into your in this Tesla?" <laughs> it exactly. doesn't align with the experience that you yeah. expect. So Tesla spent the time to do that, and what I find is that most business owners haven't spent the time to really think about. Not just ideal client profile, demographics, psychographics, but what is the process, the experience they want to go through to buy your stuff? Yeah. 
So that's a big, big gap. And, you know, we can sit in a conference room, smart guys, we can figure out how we want to sell our, th- our thing. Yeah. Unless we are our buyer, we're always going to be misaligned and create friction. Yep. Yep. And, and one thing unstated earlier about Tesla is that the company had the courage to reinvent, the courage to make a decision that, you know what? No, no haggling allowed. We believe in our technology. We believe our product is great. And mm-hmm. we know our customer is going to be okay with the notion of here's the price, put down your deposit, buy the car, because they recognized that that simplicity in the process versus the old bit about here's the sticker price and here's the factory price and here's the this and that and you know if you do enough research you can figure out what dollar amount to maybe (laughs) suggest and you can haggle and you know i don't care to do that i've done it i can be pretty good at it if i have to be but it's kind of a pain and i love the notion that I pull up my phone. Yep, that's the price I read about. I'm putting, I'm pressing the thing. Frictionless, easy, simple. But it was brave of that company to say, we're going to completely do this a new way for, for buyers who never have bought at least a new car that way. Yeah. And it's it's a huge right. Yeah, absolutely. I think the thing that Tesla, Tesla has a little ego, right? And that's okay. Tesla has an ego. Sure. And yeah. they the reason they have, there's a lot of reasons why, but one of the reasons is, is their product, mm-hmm. right? They have created a product that's really hard to compare against other products. There are other electric cars out there. There are other luxury cars out there. But but the mix of those two has created this unique product so that puts them on a little bit of an island and they can be more edgy and more aggressive in their sales tactics. So right. that's a lesson for the for your viewers is you've got competition. We've all got competition. How can you create a unique position for your product or service that it makes it really hard for the consumer to compare you directly to others? Right. So that's one of the platforms you can build on to take those more risky moves in how you market and how you position, how you tell stories about your services and your offer. Um, and so I love that Elon just step, stepped into that. Right. That's his that's his thing. It's like, take it or leave it. It's OK, because there yeah. are other people standing in the line right behind you that will buy it. Um, yeah. So that I, there's, there's a lot to this sort of frictionless process, eliminating the friction effect. And part of it is looking inwardly at what you're offering. But more, but firstly, looking externally at your buyer, what do they need? What do they want? How are they evaluating or um, developing um, potential solutions around the problem they're looking at? Because the yep. buyer's journey, right? We, we can maybe hop into buyer's journey a little bit here. Um, most marketers think about the buyer's journey that it begins when a prospect, let's say, reaches out. They raise their hand somehow digitally, mm. right? They download a wire paper. They ask for a demo. But that's completely out of alignment of the true buyer's journey. The buyer's journey begins when that buyer identifies a problem in their organization they need to solve. Mm-hmm. That's when their experience begins, right? That's right. And so part of alignment, which eliminates friction, is getting in alignment with the buyer experience and making sure that you're 
way earlier in the journey with them side by side and not trying to sort mm-hmm. of drop in further down the process and be completely out of alignment. That's that's right. And and that goes to something I talk about so much in, at Story Power Marketing, which is you really have to dig deep to understand your prospects and mm-hmm. meet them where they are and really connect with yeah. that experience at the at the very beginning of that process. And some people will push back and say, well, that's all about, you know, if you're doing that, you're talking about their fears and their frustrations. And I don't want to be a fear-based marketer. Well, no, no, no. It's really about getting in there with them, telling them that you understand them, telling them that you're in alignment with them and helping them recognize that, oh, you know, I see a solution here. I see somebody who gets me. I see somebody who can help me. Yeah. Yeah. And and that really um, kind of echoes with me because the the consultative selling approach I touched on earlier, and what I'm working a lot with my clients on is the collaborative selling approach, Yeah, which is a very different approach. It feels similar on the surface to consultative selling, but collaborative selling is you come around and you sit on the same side of the desk with your prospects Mm -hmm. and you truly come in as the expert Without this um, overt desire to sell anything, you know it's going to take more time. You know it's going to take more effort. You're really going to be, you know, there's this, I I saw somebody posted on social today, if you're not helping, you're not selling. And Mm -hmm. I like that aligns with the collaborative selling approach. And it allows you to get in alignment. It allows you to guide them through the process and ask the questions that they don't know to ask. And you may actually collaborate yourself out of a sale, which is, that's okay, right? Mm -hmm. That's okay. If you don't want to buy the Tesla on the phone, that's okay. Mm-hmm. So um, look more into collaborative selling versus consultative selling because it, it, we're finding right now we're actually getting – our clients are getting better results. They're closing deals actually more quickly, and they're creating longer-term relationships because they're truly establishing a, a foundation of trust from the beginning. It doesn't feel like I'm coming in and you know, trying to like stealth sell you. right? Yeah. I'm actually really there to help. So for for someone who's listening to this and understanding conceptually, I don't want to be the the frictiony seller. I I don't want the friction effect. I want to be the collaborative seller. But I'm not sure what I'm doing or not doing or <laughs> you know what's what's going on in the business. What are some of the questions or the self-assessments and the the things that someone listening today can begin to do and evaluate in their own processes that might suggest some red flags and might suggest that there's some friction in there. Because you noted earlier that oftentimes they don't even realize that they're creating the friction. They don't, right? Yep. We kind of get into a habit of of doing what we do and the way we do it, and it becomes this automatic, we're running a process, we're running a script. So I would say there are two key pieces to this to identify where the friction is. First is looking inwardly. So mm-hmm. look at your last five or six opportunities that didn't close and really evaluate where did the momentum start to slow down, right? There's this mm-hmm. sense of, when a great deal closes, it closes pretty quickly, right? Bing, bing, bing. Things seem to happen. Things seem to align and they sign. Mm-hmm. The other one's not so much. So go back and really reflect on when did the 
when did that like momentum start to slow down? When did the friction start to increase? Mm-hmm. Um, so if you can identify patterns in those deals, is it the similar point in the in the selling process, right? Um, find out there. Um, secondly, if you don't do a um, a win loss analysis, even if it's an informal approach, talk to your prospects, talk to the people yep. that say no. Yep. And ask them why. So, you know what? This isn't a loaded question. I genuinely want to learn why did you select the other person or yep. select to do nothing, right? Because that's often the case too. And be genuinely open and honest and, and want that information and you'll get it. They will provide it for you. Yep. I, I think that's such, such great advice. And I was having a conversation with a management consultant yesterday as uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, uh, about a similar concept as it applies to leadership and then as it applies to marketing. What happens when we experience friction or we lose the sale or we're having issues in a leadership environment, we will often just get frustrated. You know, we'll we'll get frustrated, we'll move on, we'll moan and gripe about it, we'll wallow in our misery a little bit, and then we'll just keep doing the same thing. Yeah. with the next the next person. Yep. And Jim Rohn has an old saying that you should turn frustration into fascination. And that's what you're talking about here. That yep. if you don't if you don't get the sale, instead of being frustrated and and grumble about the prospect who didn't get it and and then go on and move on and and not learn anything. Right. Lean into that prospect lean into the experience be fascinated it's a fascinating question why didn't this prospect connect with my awesome marketing messages yeah. why didn't this prospect buy and if you view that as an interesting fascinating challenge number 1 you are going to learn and get better and make and number 2 you may make connections that salvage the relationship and ultimately turn into a sale or into at least a, a a referring partner of of some sort, yeah. you can you can still maintain a positive relationship. So I love that advice. Yeah, I think that's 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 exactly right. I think the other piece of it is um, empathy, mm-hmm. right? When we lack empathy, we create misalignment and friction. And so one way to really understand, truly become empathetic, and I think we need to, be, need to be more empathetic in business in general, and especially in the revenue cycle, sales and marketing, um, mm-hmm. is to talk to your clients, talk to your prospects, and understand from them, where are they at? So this is even before they've made a buying decision, right? We talked about mm-hmm. kind of a win-loss conversation. This is up front. So talk to your five most recent wins, five, five right. recent closes, and just ask them. Why did you choose me? Why did you choose our solution? Mm-hmm. Hopefully, you knew you know who else they were looking at, right? So you can ask, mm-hmm. how did the com- comparisons play out? Um, and then keep working them back through their journey, all the way back through to how did you find us? You should know that lead generate. We need to know our sources. Why did you? What what made you reach out to us in addition to these other folks on the short list? Taking back a step further, when you realize you had a problem in your business. How did you quantify it, clarify it, categorize it? Where did you even know to start to find mm-hmm. a potential solution? Get into that mind of the buyer. Take them through each step. And the more you can understand that, the more you can then document the patterns 
of the buyer's journey. And then you can start to align all your sales and marketing activities to that. And that's a massive step in eliminating friction. Yeah. And and there's an aspect to that that I want to dive into for a second, which is as you ask and as you uh, try to empathize, you sometimes need to push them, your prospects, a little bit. So mm-hmm. simple example might be you're a management consultant and and the prospect says, um, yeah, I just I, I, I wish I could um, communicate better. Simple example. And okay, great. Next question is, so if we could help you communicate better, what would that really mean for you professionally and personally? Because underneath communicate better is some fear or some frustration. Um, I fear my employees hate me or I fear that that um, um things are being held back and that there are whisper campaigns and politics in the workplace or who knows what. And, and so it's not just, you were spot on in the advice, but I teach this as part of the marketing process. If a, if a prospect makes some, tells you they desire something Often the right follow-up question is, well, what would that mean for you personally or professionally if we delivered that for you? And then you begin to distill it down to its emotional essence because really our prospects are on an emotional journey. They're going from frustration to satisfaction, from fear to courage, from whatever the case may be. Yeah. And because it's emotionally safe to stay on the surface, that's where they want to stay, and that's where we want to stay. And so I, I would even add another question. When they say, I want to communicate more, I would mm. just simply say, tell me more about that. Yeah. Just tell me yeah. more about that. Because I don't know if they mean they need to get better at, like, grammar and better at typing an oh, email, right. or is it a, they need to be a better public speaker. What are they talking about when it comes yeah. to communication? So just a simple tell me more about that and a lean in. Mm-hmm. They will start to give you that. So then you've got a little bit of momentum you can build on. And it's yeah. so, so powerful. Uh, I, I think that the more we can take them to an emotional level of um sort of understanding the problem, right? I talk about PBOs, positive business outcomes. If you solve the problem, you're not really spending money to solve the problem. You're spending money to get the positive business outcome or avoid right. the pain, right? So right. get Get there as well. Get them into the future, and then you start to fill the gap with the solution, right? Well, that, and that's a critical point that really answers the concern I raised earlier. Some some people will say, I don't want to go to the fears and the problems and meet prospects where they are because that's fear-based marketing. It feels manipulative. I don't want to be that kind of person. And, and the point that you're making, which I always make in, in answer to that question, is, look, we're not doing that to throw flames on the fire, to to, uh, put the knife in and twist it until they're in so much pain that they beg for your help. That's that's not what you're about. It's not what I'm about. What we're about is meeting them where they are, taking them by the hand. I talk about it as empathy as well, and then envisioning the other side of the mountain. And Mm -hmm. if you can simultaneously, or at least 
in, in order, empathize and envision, then the prospect is going to lean in and say, tell me how, how are we going to do this together? Because you clearly know the journey I want to take. And, yeah. and, and then you're the invited guest when you're telling about your products and services. You, absolutely. You know, we all want to be this um, thought leader, expert in our field, all of this stuff. And so we, we tend to come in with the consultative hat on. And we want to just ask a few questions and then just throw up all of our wisdom, right? <laughs> yeah. And then what happens? The prospect's like, whoa, hang on a minute. Yeah. First of all, I read that on your blog. You don't have to tell me again, right? So, <laughs> so it, it that actually creates the opposite effect. And one of the most powerful ways to create momentum in the relationship is asking thoughtful, thought-provoking questions right? that are unique to that situation that your prospect is in. We see it maybe 50 times a week, but to them, it's unique in the first time they've talked about it. And so don't try and lead with advice, lead with thought-provoking questions, and that will create, that will set you on that tier of thought leader and expert because you're getting them to think differently about their problem. Yep, yep. So it, it's, it, it's. I think we tend to lead with advice and we've got to lead with the questions. Just we have Perfect, to. perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So what does a typical engagement look like for you when someone hires you to come in and, and take on eliminating that friction effect? Yeah. You know, it, it's very different for every client, as you might imagine, right? We take a very sort of custom approach. And, and, and what's kind of funny, and I look back at sort of debriefing myself on some of these sales processes that we go through. And when I think about the reason that we get a call is very rarely the reason they engage with us. Interesting. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. And that's part of asking the right kind of questions. Right. So I'll give you an example and then, and then I'll, I'll get to your answer. I had a prospect call me last week. We've been on and on, on again, off again for probably two years. They'll call me for some advice. I'll give it to them. It's fine. And so they finally call me back and all right, we're ready to do something. We want you to come in and look at our messaging, how we're positioned in the market. We want to expand into a new market. And we want some advice on how we how we can go to market with this new service. And, and what do we need to do with the website? We've got a bunch of stuff all jammed onto the website. What do we need to do? So to me, that as I step back, all right, they need strategy advice, go-to-market advice, probably some marketing and selling. And so we got into this conversation and we started breaking down the website a little bit. And I said, well, hang on a minute. How does your prospect want to use your website? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. That's a good question. So it completely changed the uh, the direction of the conversation. And so we ended up getting into this conversation about doing client interviews where I'm going to interview some of their clients and start to gather some feedback, start to create the buyer's journey and get some alignment. And so they came in wanting some messaging advice, basically, and we completely ended up in some other place. So what often happens is we I draw people back to, we've got to get strategic first, strategy mm -hmm. before tactics. We know mm -hmm. that. And so the typical client um, engagement usually includes us working with them to understand their buyer, right, the buyer's journey, and then aligning all of their sales and marketing. So it's aligned internally, but it's also aligned with how their buyer wants to buy. Mm -hmm. um, and we eliminate a lot of this sort of finger pointing between marketing and sales, right, which I know you've seen over the years. Mm -hmm. Marketing cannot, you know, sales can't close the lead that marketing creates, and sales says marketing leads are no good. And all of this stuff is because they're, Focus on the wrong outcomes, different yep. outcomes. Yep. They're paid differently. They're compensated differently. They're incentive. They're focused on different things. 
Yeah. And it, 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 that's such a critical idea. You talk about starting with internal alignment. I'm experiencing this on, on this very day where I'm having technical problems with the email marketing system that I'm using uh, for, for my business. Mm -hmm. And it's so very clear to me that the lines that this company's salespeople spout about how we put entrepreneurs first and blah, 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 are completely misaligned with the routine of the customer support people who just don't, <laughs> I, I'm about to rant, and I, I <laughs> nobody cares, so I'm not gonna. But right. you're, I mean, this is what you're talking about that that when you have these conversations internally about buyers' journeys, about customer journeys, about what they need, about where they are, it's not just about having a conversation with the marketing people so they can mm-hmm. spout the right words and make the sale. It's about doing it across an entire organization. So every aspect of the experience is seamless and feels consistent. And that's the story I told about Tesla. It wasn't just about shopping for the thing. It's about repairing it when it's broken. It's about the fact that the car is getting better, not worse. Um, You know, it's all of this stuff that turns the whole experience on its head and puts me first. Yeah. And, yeah. And I felt it from the first time I began to interact yeah. with the brand. It, it's the whole customer life cycle, right? Yeah. So larger organizations often have a, a role in their leadership team called the chief revenue officer. <laughs> right. Right. And the chief revenue officer, if they're positioned correctly, their job is to look at the whole life cycle, right? Mm-hmm. So from demand gen, lead gen, all of the marketing, sales, right? Revenue creation, but then also lifetime value of a client. How can we get that seat cover repaired in one click, right? Mm -hmm. And maintain and extend the lifetime and therefore lifetime value, right? So that's the ecosystem that even if you're an organization of one and you have maybe a VA and a couple of service providers that help you, you've got to search for that same alignment within your internal ecosystem and make sure it's aligned with the modern buyer and your current buyer and their profile too. That's the... I don't care if you're one or 100,000 employees, that creates so much alignment, both from a um, marketing and sales perspective, but also from a service delivery perspective too, which is what you're talking about too. Because that's what I care about as a buyer. Once I've made the decision and I've stuck my credit card in the slot there, I want a good experience. I want them to deliver what they said. And that's often where the, the in professional services, consultants, coaches, and professional services, that's where the ball gets dropped between sell, sale and service delivery. Bingo. Yeah. So you've got to create I, that I, alignment. It's so, I so important. Completely, completely agree. And the fact that you brought up lifetime value customer, for those who don't know that concept, it's about knowing your numbers and recognizing that the relationship that you have over the lifetime of your experience with that customer is not just the first transaction. You know, so many businesses will say, well, it's costing me X number of dollars to bring in a new customer if they're bothering to measure their numbers. It cost me so many dollars to get a prospect. It cost me so many dollars to get the meeting. It cost me so many dollars 
per sale. And then they say, well, a sale is $1,000, $5,000, whatever it may be. And they think, and, and, and it stops then. Well, well, was it worth spending $6,000 mm-hmm. to make $5,000? It was if the lifetime value of that customer is and you maximize lifetime value when you do all these things that Dean is talking about. (laughs) And uh, so many businesses don't bother to think about it. You know, and, and lifetime value is not always simple to calculate because really there are aspects of lifetime value, such as referrals, and things like that, that are maybe hard to track back to a single customer. Who knows how many Teslas have been sold because I've told my Tesla story out loud multiple times. And and so um, in in that regard, my lifetime value to Tesla as a, as a customer is incalculable. I think I said incalculable. Can't be calculated, <laughs> and and uh, but there are definitely aspects of of the relationship that can be calculated. You know, absolutely, and, yeah. And so that whole idea of LVC is so critical. And and I once said to somebody, I think there are two kinds of business people in the world: people who think about LVC and people who don't. Yeah, and and they operate completely different ways. If you're yeah. thinking about LVC. All of this stuff begins to be on your radar for your strategic planning and for your activities, and yeah, and because it matters, yeah. And I think of it in, in is a two way street, too, right? We want to draw as much value out of the client as we can, and that sounds very selfish, but we're for profit businesses, right? But it has to be a two way street, we have to deliver a lifetime of value too. That's and right. And so, how do they measure value? Maybe it's the value of the ROI of the software that you use or your services that you provide. That's one measure of value. But do you really understand what other measures of value they care about? Is it referrals mm-hmm. into their business? Is it making connections? Is it sharing of information? Is it bringing your clients together for a happy hour so they can meet other business owners? Who knows? Who cares? Yeah. Understand how they measure value. Yeah. That's a lot. support? How many support tickets? Are yeah. they ranking you high after the support tickets? Yeah. Are they exactly. um you know all these all these things? And, and yeah, I mean anyone out there who is listening to a conversation about value and friction as if it's all about get, get, get from your clients. <laughs> you, you've missed the point. <laughs> it's a, it's a 360 degree mutually beneficial relationship. You're constantly in the business of providing value. And if you don't understand that and don't see it that way, well, it's, you know, the, the house of cards is going to fall at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I'll give you a quick story on that there. Our realtor. So we're in the process of we just closed on a home. We're, in the, we're actually going to be listing out a current home tomorrow, right? So we're oh, in the middle of this whole real rats. estate crazy yeah. stuff, right? We have a, a realtor. Like we all know at least 20 realtors, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the gentleman that we use, I've known for a number of years, we've done a couple of transactions with him. He delivers value at a different level than the average realtor. Right. You get on their list, you get the emails, you get the updates and all that stuff. But but our realtor, um, he he 
he is more hands-on. Mm-hmm. He is more um, detail-oriented. Mm-hmm. He's more analytical, but he's also more personable than most. And that's what we want. Those characteristics mm-hmm. are what we look for. I could go find a realtor tomorrow. They could have sold their house. They can help us um, help us buy another house. No big deal. But this gentleman, he, he delivers the value that he knows his clients want, and he attracts clients that want that stuff, right? Yep. So even if you're in a highly commoditized market like being a realtor or selling health insurance or whatever it is, commoditized markets, the more you understand, again, the empathy piece, right? The more you understand what your buyers want and how they perceive value mm-hmm. and how they want to receive value too, perceive and receive, you can align with that. And then yep. everybody else that delivers a technology-based realtor experience, for example, they're going to go find people that buy Teslas, right? <laughs> for example. Right. Yeah. So it's just, you can't understate understanding the the um the desired value and how your market's going to buy it it's critical so yep. important yep and it and it's evolving it's evolving it, it's evolving yeah it's evolving every hour <laughs> seems like it yeah so dean where can people find you if they want to learn more if they want to connect with you the best place to find me is go to linkedin go search my name dean isaacs I'm one of the very few Dean Isaacs that will show up at the top of the list on LinkedIn. And and I send people to LinkedIn because we post a bunch of content that I think is hopefully pretty valuable. we got great feedback on it. So connect with me on LinkedIn, follow me on LinkedIn, DM me. um, If you have questions or or need any, any advice, just reach out. Perfect. Perfect. Any additional thoughts you want to share with the audience before we go? Oh man. Um, Acknowledge the fact that, Buyers of business services have changed, and it's probably time for you to evaluate how you might need to change and align with them versus forcing your approach down their throat. And if you want help with that evaluation, and if you want help with what that evaluation (laughs) reveals, go find Dean on LinkedIn. Go find me. I'm happy to chat. Dean, thanks so much. Love what you do. Love how you bring it to the world. So glad we've made this connection and uh, this is uh, our, our paths are going to continue to cross. I know. Yeah, I appreciate it, Tom. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Dean. All right. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Story Power Marketing Show with Tom Ruich. If you liked what you heard today, visit storypowermarketing.com slash resources, where you can sign up for Tom's entertaining, informative, must-read emails, download free business-building resources, and discover other opportunities to help you harness the power of storytelling. That's storypowermarketing.com slash resources to help you captivate prospects, inspire them to act, and grow your business with greater ease and joy. Also, please remember to subscribe to the Story Power Marketing Show with Tom Ruich and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.